everybody. Welcome to the X Report. I am Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who may be joining the Desmond Bain uh, fan club very soon. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good. I've been on that fan club a long time ago. I mean, he has been balling out. Definitely been helping to carry the load in Memphis. Now, before we do anything. We at the X Report would like to send our condolences to the loved ones, friends, and family of former NFL wide receiver Demarius Thomas, who passed away last night. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm really hurt right now because even though I, around this time when I became a Demarius Thomas fan, I was not a Broncos fan, but I cared about the Broncos a little bit. I kind of got wrapped up into Tebow mania, and so – as watching the Broncos more, I really grew to like Demarius Thomas. And then when Peyton Manning got there, the Broncos became my second favorite team. I loved watching Demarius. He actually is one of my favorite all-time receivers. So it's really rough. This was a tough one. It was really sad to hear this, especially because he's so young. And he just retired less than, what, five months ago. So this is a tragic one. And it's really sad to see. Yeah, just listen up the family condolences to them because uh yeah that was a uh it's just a huge blow to hear someone that young past yeah and unfortunately like the cause um, of death has not been reported yet they're saying or at least the police are saying it's not foul play i think it was a medical issue so like you said just prayers up to friends and family of his i know this has got to be a tough one especially people a part of the Broncos organization just because he was such a key part of them for over eight years. So prayers up to everybody who was directly affected. But on a more positive note, we got a cool show for you guys today. Of course, we're going to take a look at the current state of the NFL playoff picture. With the NBA, we are going to talk about the drama in Portland because it has been quite a bit. And of course, we're going to close out the show with the NXT TakeOver War Games recap. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. In honor of one of the best receivers of the 2010s, let's show love to the next generation of wide receiver with our college football player spotlight. And this week we're putting on junior Ohio State wide receiver Garrett Wilson. Throughout much of the season, the question of who was better, Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave? Olave. While the debate may never end, this week we're going to show love to Wilson. Had a really good junior year. 70 catches for over 1,000 yards. Also had 12 touchdowns. Was a deep threat for the Buckeyes. Ethan, I know everybody could use more receivers, but what team do you think should be highlighting him in the first round? Mm, I think for me, I think I would say I think I'm going to go with the Las Vegas Raiders. Simply because we know that Derek Carr, even though he does receive a lot of flack because of their win loss record, Derek Carr isn't a isn't necessarily a bad quarterback. I think a big thing with Derek Carr in their offense is outside of Darren Waller, they don't really have any weapons like Hunter Renfro. He's a good piece, but he's more of a possession player, a guy that you go to for crucial third down pickups. But they don't have a dynamic piece on the outside. Yes, I know that the Raiders probably should invest in their defense in the earlier rounds of the draft. 
But I think if you have a chance to add a dynamic raw receiver to their already competent offense in Oakland, in Las Vegas, I would look that way. Yeah, I'm actually in total agreement with you. I also had the Las Vegas Raiders. I think that if we're looking at the state of teams wide receiver cores, I would say that the Raiders are near the bottom of the barrel right now. I mean, Darren Waller is a dog. We all know that. Hunter Renfro is solid. But outside of that, nobody else has been living up to potential. Brian Edwards, this was his second year. This was supposed to be a big year for him. We haven't really seen that. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest reasons why for the Raiders drop-off. There just has not been as much cohesion in that receiving group. And I think that getting a player like Garrett Wilson will definitely help that out a lot. But all right, let's go ahead and look back at week 13. Starting with Thursday Night Football, the Dallas Cowboys embarrassed Taysom Hill and the Saints 27 to 17. Colts shut out the Texans 31 to nothing. Lions get their first win of the Dan Campbell era, beating the Vikings 29 to 27. Unfortunately, my Ravens were defeated by the Pittsburgh Steelers 20 to 19, but at least I knew that was going to happen. Uh, Seattle Seahawks get back on track, defeating the 49ers 30 to 23. Uh, Cardinals win at Colin Murray's return 33 to 22. Philadelphia Eagles beat the Jets 33-18. Uh, Chargers beat Bengals 41-22. Bucks beat uh, Falcons 30-17. Dolphins beat Giants 20-9. Rams get back on track against Jags 37-7. Uh, Washington football team defeats the Raiders 17-15. Uh, Chiefs beat Broncos 22-9. And then in a blizzard, the Patriots find a way to run all over the Bills 14-10. Uh, I went 10 and 3. Ethan went 11 and 2 on his prediction. So, pretty good week for both of us. Ethan, what were your top three takeaways from this past week of action? The top three takeaways are um, the mad scientist that is known as Bill Belichick is proving yet again that he can muster up a way to win by any means necessary. Um, number two, I would probably say that. The New Orleans Saints, they're definitely going to have to invest in this Russell Wilson sweepstakes during the offseason because once you, once James Winston was out, you see the flaws that they have in backup quarterback in Taysom Hill. And number number three, it looks like the Kansas City Chiefs have found their mojo. I watched the majority of that. I think I watched all of the Chiefs-Broncos game. And they didn't necessarily do it on offense, but their defense stepped up and made plays. And if you take that defense that's improving and you add a little bit of that Patrick Mahomes magic here and there, that could be a dangerous team come playoff time. Yeah, honestly, I think they're dangerous now just because I think that they've started to kind of get themselves back going, which is unfortunate. I hope the league had fun while it lasted. But all right, let's go ahead and talk injury news where it just seemed like screw Raven and her favorite DBs. You'll see what I mean in a second. Ravens lose cornerback Marlon Humphrey for the rest of the year with a torn peck as if the Ravens have not been injury prone enough. Then my favorite safety Seahawks uh, Jamal Adams is done for the year with a torn labrum. Also around the news, Jets wide receiver Corey Davis is finished for the year after having core uh, muscle surgery. Washington loses starting tight end Logan Thomas for the year with the torn ACL. And then Bengals lose upstart linebacker Logan Wilson for the next few weeks with a shoulder injury. So let's take things to Baltimore. Marcus Peters, we already know, out for the year with the torn ACL. 
Now Marlon Humphrey is out with a torn pec. If you are Baltimore, what do you do? Do you stick with the team, the players you have on the team, such as Anthony Avery, Jimmy Smith, Tavon Young, or would you try to look at the free agent pool? Because unfortunately, the free agent pool isn't that great right now. But what if you're Baltimore? What do you do? I think I would take a look at the free agent pool. I would definitely have a couple workouts. Um, but I think it's just a requirement simply because of the depth that you guys are lacking in the defensive backfield. But I think ultimately what's going to end up happening is you're just going to roll with the guys that you have. You might sign like one or two. You might sign like one corner is like a depth need slash he might actually provide something to the team, but I don't think it's going to be this this big where you guys make this splash sign. I think you guys are just going to roll out with who you have and go from there. Honestly, I agree with you. I'm pulling up the present of Raiders right now, but because I don't know any off the top of my head, that lets you know how bad things are. But, yeah, I mean – the problem is, we say all the time, the NFL is a next man up league. Injuries are going to happen. You just have to be able to prepare for them. But unfortunately, this is a lot of injuries to happen to one team, and especially in the secondary who, when you lose your best player. I think more than anything, Baltimore is going to rely more on their pass rush. Jimmy Smith is solid, but he's a bit up there, and he, injuries have kind of hurt him. Same for Tavon Young. Anthony Averett has had his moments. Chris Restory is very unproven. And so I think that what Baltimore is going to do is try to kind of go for, like, the Rams approach of, hey, our secondary may not be up to snuff, <clears throat> but at least our pass rush is there. So at the very least, we can disrupt quarterbacks in that way. I think that if our pass rush can do just enough, we should be able to be fine. But even still, it's, it's, it's rough right now. It is very rough. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the players we were most impressed by, disappointed by, and our rookie of the week. Ethan, who most impressed you in week 12? Um, who most impressed me? Uh, I'm going to go with a unit, actually. I'm going to go with the Chiefs defense. I think going into their game against the Broncos, it was – I'm not going to say it was a must win, but it was one of those kind of guys where it has, like, it had a playoff feel to it, and yes, they gave up a lot of ground, a lot of yards on the ground, but they they forced Teddy Bridgewater into two crucial picks that, in my opinion, honestly won them the game. I can see that. Um, for me, I'm gonna go with the player who most non-diehards don't even know who that is. I'm gonna go defensive lineman Chris Warmly. Most of you are saying what? So he was a former Baltimore Raven, was traded last March to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you know it's rare when divisional rivals trade players. But Worm got his revenge against Baltimore, got two and a half sacks against us, really had been an afterthought for most of the season. But on Sunday, he played lights out. And then let's be honest, all of the – the whole Steelers front seven played lights out, but it was really impressive to see Worm do it, especially because he's a guy that you don't really expect to put on that kind of performance. All right, who are you most disappointed by? Um, again, this is a situation where it's not one particular player, but actually I was most disappointed by the whole entire Cincinnati Bengals team. They were riding high. They looked like they were potentially going to be this um, upcoming juggernaut to, um, to win the division. They had a great game against the Steelers in the previous week where they rushed for 
I don't know how many yards, but it was a lot of them. And then they faced the Chargers, and it's like they had turnovers. They they just looked like they were discombobulated. And in a game like that, that's a crucial game, and I feel like it cost you some potential positioning towards the latter part of the year when it comes playoff time. Yeah, and I mean, kind of going back to that game, there was a point when they were down 24 to nothing, but then they roared back, and it was a 24 to 22 game. So they had gotten themselves within striking distance, but those same issues, as you mentioned, turnovers came and played a role. The defense kind of fell back into what was hurting them to start the game. So, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. They were definitely a team that I was disappointed by. But I'm going to follow suit, and I also have a unit. But I'm going to say the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, we've seen time and time again that the Detroit Lions have put forth a very, very valiant effort, but nobody wants to be the team that loses to the team that hasn't won a game yet, especially this deep into the season. And while the Vikings have talent out of the wazoo, especially offensively with Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, defensively Harrison Smith is still a great player, Eric Kendricks, Patrick Peterson, uh, Anthony Barr, just to name a few. They are one of the most frustrating teams to watch just because even with all this talent, they have a very difficult time to put it together. And the fact that they lost to the Lions the way that they did makes it even more frustrating. So I was definitely most disappointed in them. All right, who's your rookie of the week? My rookie of the week was Broncos running back Javante Williams. He had, I think he had 102 rushing yards on the TD. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was in a losing effort, but honestly, I feel like if the Broncos would have kept running the ball and being a physical football team, they would have given them a better chance because he was getting good yardage every time he touched the ball. Yeah, and I'm actually in agreement with you with Javante Williams. In addition to rushing for over 100 yards, he also had 76 receiving yards and a touchdown. So he was making it happen um, on all fronts. So, yeah, definitely a great game for him. And like you mentioned, had they continued to feed him, this could have been – I'm not going to say they would have won the game, but it would have been a very different um, result. It could have been a lot closer. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to league news, starting out in Carolina. After the recent struggles uh, with the Panthers' offense, they decided to fire offensive coordinator Joe Brady. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really blame Joe Brady for the Panthers' offensive struggles. Yeah, I don't. I think they just have – Somebody had to be a scapegoat. Yeah, somebody had to be a scapegoat, but it's like they battle injuries and they didn't really have good quarterback play, except for like with the first four games of the season when Sam Darnold looked like a company quarterback. Yeah. quarterback. And, I mean, when they did look good, I mean, when the quarterback did look solid, I mean, their offense looked very good. We finally got to see all the pieces in motion. So, I I don't love that move by the Panthers, but, I mean, hey, I'm pretty sure Baltimore is going to be in the market for a new offensive coordinator. So, if Mr. Brady wants to take his talents up to Baltimore after this season, I'd be happy for it. Speaking of moving talents, uh, linebacker Zach Cunningham, after being released by the Houston Texans in a very questionable move, in my opinion, he was picked up on waivers by the Tennessee Titans. So just imagine waking up one day, you're in the worst team in the division, and you wake up with the playoff team. How do you feel about this move for your uh, Titans? I think it's a good move just simply because we we have solid linebackers, but I think you can always have make room for depth, especially given the fact that we've been plagued by injury against Ben Monster on the offensive side of the ball. But once 
once you hit this time of year when everyone's banged up, everyone's um, in this grind of like trying to win divisions and get playoff positioning, it never hurts to add a solid piece, especially to our defense because when we were in the midst of our winning streak, it was our defense that was holding holding suit. It wasn't necessarily our offense that was being dominant. It was our defense rushing the pass and getting and getting to quarterbacks and causing disruption. So I think it's a good signing. I agree. I think it's a great signing. Like you mentioned, I mean Line, your linebackers have been all right, but it's been hard to really have that faith in them. David Long, in my opinion, has probably looked like the best one, which is something you don't necessarily want to say when you just spent a number, a first-round pick on a linebacker, and Rashawn Evans, who's kind of been so-so throughout his NFL career. But Zach Cunningham has been a tackling machine, and I think that especially with how run-heavy your division is in the next few games, the more people you can get on that team that's going to tackle, the better. Um, all right, let's go ahead and look at the playoff picture. Starting off in the AFC, um, number one seed right now are the New England Patriots. Sec- number two seed is the um, ba- I mean Tennessee Titans. Number three seed, the Baltimore Ravens. Four seed, the Kansas City Chiefs. Wild card teams as of right now are the Los Angeles Chargers, the Cincinnati Bengals, and Buffalo Bills. So we're going to kind of do – what we did last week, but a bit differently. So, of the wild card teams right now, looking at the Chargers, Bengals, and Bills, here are the teams that are on the cusp. We have the Colts, the Raiders, and Steelers. Pick one of the nine playoff teams to replace one of the teams in the wild cards, or which one you could realistically see happening. Um, I think I can see the Colts overtaking the Chargers simply because I think the Colts still found their identity. They have Carson Wentz has shown improvement in his quarterback play. They've always had a, a decent defense and Jonathan Taylor is the most dynamic running back in the game right now and when you're in that mode of like trying to grind for the playoffs sometimes you have to um, like it's the time the, um, saying the run game travels when you have a good run game when you reach this point of the um, season that can be an attributing factor to you winning games that you aren't necessarily supposed to win yeah I'm actually in agreement with you with regards to the Colts the reason why I would say I would take the Chargers out is just because the Chargers are a very wishy-washy team Um, for the games that they for example what happened two weeks ago against the Broncos? They got their butts kicked. And then the next week, they kicked the um, Bengals' butt. I feel like of the three wild card teams, I think that right now they are the one who is the least consistent. You'd never really know which Broncos team is going to st- – I mean, not Broncos, which Chargers team is going to step on the field on a week-to-week basis. And I think that can be something that's going to end up holding them back. So, yeah, I agree with you. All right, moving on to the NFC. Uh, the Cardinals still have the first seed. Then it's the Packers, the Bucks, and then Cowboys. Wild card teams are the Los Angeles Rams, Washington football team, and the C- the San Francisco 49ers. The three teams on the outside looking in as of now, the Minnesota Vikings, Philadelphia Eagles, Carolina Panthers. Same question, who replaces who? I think I could see the uh, Minnesota Vikings taking the place of the San Francisco 49ers. Simply, in my opinion, these two teams are very similar in the facet of they have talent on their teams, 
it's some somehow, some way seem to un, be an underwhelming team. I think the 49ers, they're, they're banged up. They have a lot of injuries. Um, I think Jimmy G isn't the type of quarterback that can get over this hump to push them through. Yes, I still have my doubts about Kirk Cousins, but I think that the Vikings, they have the defense, and Dalvin Cook, if anything, when he showed, when he came back this week against Pittsburgh, he showed that he could still be a dynamic running back also. So I can see that swap happening. I can see that as well. I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, the 49ers have kind of struggled with regards to getting that consistency and same for the Minnesota Vikings. But I think that the Minnesota Vikings have the talent to get to the playoffs, especially concerning the game we just watched last night against the Steelers. I mean, we know that they can produce offensively. The question is, can they do it consistently? And right now between the other wild, I mean, teams not in the playoffs, I think they have the best chance to do it. And with the 49ers and their tough uh, stretch of games, especially those divisional games, I don't think that they'll be able to pull it out. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and move on. Speaking of the NFC West, let's go ahead and talk my brother-in-law, Russell Wilson, who, like I mentioned earlier, the Seahawks got back on track, won a game, but the rumors of him wanting to leave still have not gone away. In fact, it was reported by NFL insider Jordan Schultz that Russell Wilson would strongly consider waiving his no-trade contract clause for the Broncos, Giants, or Saints. Um, shortly thereafter, Russell Wilson responded by saying that this report was a non-story, and he hopes to play out his uh, Seattle Seahawks contract for the next um, throughout the contract and then said he wants to play 20 years there. So... Question, first question, which do you think is more likely? Russell Wilson remains a Seahawk beyond this season or he ends up getting traded? And if he is traded, which of the three teams makes the most sense? All right. Um, I don't think he will be a Seahawk for the remainder of his contract past this season. I think that he's in, he's in the prime of his career to where he still has, he, talent-wise, he still has the ability to be a championship-winning quarterback. Mm -hmm. The only thing, in my opinion, that's hindering him from doing that is the Seattle Seahawks having fixed issues that they've had. Honestly, I feel like throughout the whole course of his career, maybe except for like the first two years, they've always had a historically bad offensive line. Russell has probably been, I think he's been the most sad quarterback in the history of the NFL since he's, since his tenure of starting as a rookie. Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely don't see him staying because it's like, why? Like, I understand the love and the loyalty that he has to Seattle, but it's like, bro, you're only getting older. You take, you can't continue to take these hits. Russell has numerously said that he wants to be someone that potentially plays to late sporty. And as we've seen with Tom Brady, in order for you to, I feel like in order for you to play those upper years of age, you have to be behind a good offensive line. Which leads me to the team that I think he should go to. I would say the New Orleans Saints. Um, they have, first and foremost, they have a formidable run game with Ivan Kamara and bringing back Mark Ingram, they have that dynamic that has always been beneficial to Russell. When you give Russell a good run game, I feel like you see the best of Russell Wilson. 
then they also um they have weapons on the outside yes they aren't the prototypical um big names that we're used to like yes michael thomas has been out but they have i feel like they have pieces that they can use and then who knows we could get michael thomas back next year and it um it galvanizes their wide receiver court so I agree with you in the sense of um, I don't think he stays in Seattle. I think barring some major season turnaround and they somehow make the playoffs, I don't really think – if I'm Seattle, I just think that time and time again you're just saying that this is not a roster that is going to win you a Super Bowl. While you have a Super Bowl caliber quarterback, your just roster does not have it and you don't have the cap space nor the draft capital to really try to make that happen. And so with that being said, I just think that it's time to really – go into the mindset of going for the rebuild and going from there. With regards to where I would I think he should go, I'm going to go differently from you and I'm going to say the Broncos. Um I think that the Broncos, why you mentioned one of the big pieces is that run game. Well, they do have a really nice run game, especially with what we just saw from Javante Williams, and if they can bring back Melvin Gordon, they can do some nice things on the run. Offensively, we know that they have weapons. Cortland Sutton has been great. Jerry Judy has been very solid. Um, Tim Patrick has been a guy who's come out of the woodwork, as well as Noah Fant. Defensively, even though they may not have the you know star power that they once did, they're still doing things very well. I mean, Kenny Young has been a great trade piece for them. Uh, Patrick Sertan, we already know. they Justin Simmons, if they have a final way to bring him back. This is a very good roster, and putting um, Russell Wilson on there instantly makes them into a playoff team. Not to mention they already have a very good offensive line in place, and they have the draft capital to where even if they have to trade quite a bit to get Russell, they'll still have enough to make moves and have that flexibility. So of the three, I think that the Broncos would make a lot of sense, but I think that – I would, and I agree with you. I think the Saints are the best fit. But in terms of roster construction right now, I would say Broncos. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to a game of believable or buffoonery. Starting off with Minshew Magic, as it looks like it is in a full effect. After relief, uh, playing in the relief of Jalen Hurts, who was hurt last week, Gardner Minshew had a terrific game against the New York Jets. 20 of 25 passing for 242 yards and two touchdowns. And we all know that when Philly fans see good quarterback play, they are going to jump on it. So, believable or buffoonery, Gardner Minshew deserves a chance to continue starting for the Eagles, even when Jalen Hurts is healthy. I definitely believe, and I think that's believable. Um, Gardner Minshew, in my opinion, he isn't a bad quarterback. I think that when he played, when he was in Jacksonville, he was under the circumstances of having bad coaching, having bad um, pieces around him, making it primarily offensive line and I think he even even with all of that around him, he showed that he could be a productive quarterback. I think that one of the things that he can provide that Jalen doesn't is he's a competent passer. Yes, Jalen Hurts is one of the more dynamic quarterbacks as far as rushing the ball, but he isn't that great of a passer. I think that Garner gives them an added element of being like he's accurate. He can make throws and He's not necessarily as mobile as Jalen Hurts, but who's to say that you can't do the whole kind of like Taysom Hill role with Jalen Hurts. I hate to say it that way because I I don't want to discredit Jalen Hurts because he's 
he's led the Eagles to some victories over the course of this season. But I think that, at least for the time being, that Garner might be the better option. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that right now, while the Patriots, especially with Monday night's performance, may have you think different, like, but you have to be able to throw the ball consistently in order to have success, especially this deep into the season. We see that the Philadelphia Eagles have really found their niche in the run game, and that's been helping them out a lot. But even more so, you can't just be one-dimensional. And when you have Jalen Hurts on the field, it makes them one-dimensional because you don't you're not afraid of him throwing the ball. You're not worried about him tossing it all around the yard. Whereas with Gardner Mitchell, we've, saw, we've seen that he can do that before and that he can do it. So with that being said, I do agree with you. I do think that they should continue to play him and see what they have. Worst comes to worst, you got to ride with Jalen or you're looking at the next crop of quarterbacks in this upcoming draft class. All right, moving on. You mentioned the Colts as a team to fear. Well, you are not alone. Eric Eager spoke on the Chris Collinsworth podcast and said, AFC teams should be nervous about seeing the Colts in the playoffs. Believable or buffoonery, the Colts would be one of the biggest threats in the playoffs this season. I think it's believable simply because, like I stated earlier, when you're a team that has, has an established defense, and you have a dynamic run game. That's something that travels. Um, it's kind of I kind of liken it to playoff basketball in the NBA. Whereas when you see in the regular season, you see teams going up and down, flying around. But once the playoffs start, it becomes more of a half court game, and it's more physical. The same thing I feel like applies to the NFL, whereas you don't. You see a lot of teams, the teams that are capable of running the ball and managing the clock, they seem to kind of thrive in those scenarios. I mean, even when you look at the team, when you look at the Bucks last year, they they had playoff Lenny pop up out of nowhere and put teams on notice, and he was a dominant running back throughout the run towards the Super Bowl. And I think that's something that you have to be aware of because you never know, like, say – you run into New England in in the middle of the playoffs, and it's cold and it's snowy. Necessarily being a dominant pass team might not be in your favor, but if you're able to run the ball and make the two clock and manage the clock and play the field position game, they can give you a advantage over a lot of teams in the NFL, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. And then kind of moving on to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, the Colts' defense may not be as imposing as it has been over the last couple of years, but they still are very solid. They still are one of the better groups in the league in terms of ke- keeping teams contained. And that's going to be able to happen once you have cats like um, Darius Leonard at linebacker, of course. Um, you have a great lineman in DeForest Buckner. So you know that they have talent in addition to their secondary. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think that the Colts are a team that you don't really want to see in the playoffs. All right, moving on to another AFC team that saw the Colts firsthand and got ran through, the Buffalo Bills, who, as one can guess, were not all too pleased with their latest def- lost to the New England Patriots, even to the point where some people got a bit salty with the media. I don't know if you saw the um, post-game press conference with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. They took offense when the defense called their, uh, when the media called their run defense embarrassing, which, I mean, it was. Even Sean McDermott had some comments about Bill Belichick about the game and said, let's not give more credit than we need to give Bill Belichick in this one. So with all due respect, it's not a Bill Belichick type thing. It's what are you doing with the opportunities you got. 
To me, it sounds like they're haters. But believable or buffoonery, the Buffalo Bills have lost their chance to be the kings of the AFC East. That's believable. I think that um, I think that New England, they found their formula. I think that Bill Belichick, this, this iteration of the Patriots is a Bill Belichick type of team. It's a strong defensive team. They run the ball, and they manage the clock, and they put Mac Jones in position to make accurate and smart, quick reads so you don't put him in position to get stacked. Um, as far as the Bills, I think that one of the things that this game shows you, it shows you a major flaw in their, um, in their, in their team dynamic. They have a dynamic offense with Josh Allen, but if you look at a game where you saw a team run the ball, what, 30 plus times and only passed it three times? 49 times. You said how many? 49 times. So you had a team run the ball 49 times and they only attempted three passes. Yes, it was under um, very bad conditions with the weather, but it's like, who's to say you see a team like, i.e., let's say the coach with Jonathan Taylor, they played them. Who's to say that they don't run the ball if they're good the whole game and only pass the ball maybe 10 to 15 times a game and produce a W? Like, you, like that game, I feel like, exposed them for, uh, exposed a major kick in their armor, and they can't just stop the run. Yeah. And I think that that was kind of a struggle um, in these last few weeks for them was not being able to stop the run, and then Monday night's game really highlighted that. But in addition to that, I mean, I think that we – I think last year kind of sullied people or confused them as to just how good of a coach uh, Bill Belichick is. Bill Belichick is the king of adjustments. And like you mentioned, this is a prototypical Bill Belichick-type team. And so I feel like the Buffalo Bills definitely missed their opportunity to showcase why this was now their division because I think that the Patriots are going to continue to showcase, no, this has been our division for 20-plus years. You had your chance, and you blew it. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I find it believable. All right, speaking of the Patriots, um, According to the ESPN's Football Power Index, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and New England Patriots is the most likely Super Bowl matchup. Um, according to the index, it has a 10% chance of hype happening. So, taking bias out of it, believable or buffoonery, the Buccaneers versus the Patriots will be the most exciting Super Bowl matchup this season. I think in terms of storylines, I think this would be the most exciting. 
I mean, technically we did get the return during the regular season, but that's the regular season. You get to see Bill Belichick versus Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, the biggest game of the year. In terms of, like, gameplay, I don't think it'd be the most exciting. I think that a Packers versus Chiefs game would be a lot more exciting in terms of just gameplay. But in terms of build, lead up to see, because, of course, the question will come, well, who really drove the Patriots, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? Mac Jones, is he the next Tom Brady? Can he win the Super Bowl his rookie year? Like, I think the story writes itself with that matchup. So I I, I think I would agree with that. I think it would be the most exciting. Like I said, in terms of actual game, I don't think that it would be. But truthfully, I'd rather see Patriots versus um Patriots versus Bucks over Chiefs versus Bucks again. But that's just that's just me. All right, last piece. Let's talk Micah Parsons, who I think Barring some catastrophe, he's going to win defensive rookie of the year. But is it about time that we put him in a higher conversation? Um, Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus said, forget defensive rookie of the year. Parsons is in the defensive player of the year conversation. Now, he has had a really good season so far. Has 72 tackles in 12 games. Leads all rookies with 10 sacks. Also has um, 16 tackles for loss, as well as seven hurries, two pass deflections, two forced fumbles. So believable or buffoonery? Should Micah Parsons be included in the Defensive Player of the Year discussion? I'm going to say buffoonery, but he's having a hell of a year. I'm going to say I'm still staying with buffoonery. I do think that he's having a tremendous rookie year. I think that his defensive rookie of the year push is better than the ones we've seen in recent years. I put it over Chase Young and Nick Bosa's personally, um, as far as like the most recent winners. But in terms of defensive rookie, I just, I can't do it. Like he's having a great year, but I can't put him on par with Miles Garrett. I can't put him on par with what TJ Watt has been doing. Even Trey Hendrickson and, um, Cincinnati has been having a tremendous year. Nobody really was expecting that. In my opinion, I would say that he's the best defensive player that the Cowboys have. But I just, I can't put him in the upper echelon. I can't put him in that conversation right now. But as a rookie, I think he's far and away the best defensive rookie. But just in terms of what other veterans have been doing, I can't put him in that conversation yet. But all right, let's go ahead and make our game pick, starting with my Baltimore Ravens with their third straight divisional matchup, taking on the Cleveland Browns. I can see this going either way, but I got Baltimore. Yeah, I had Baltimore. Uh, the Washington football team versus the Dallas Cowboys. My brain is saying pick the Cowboys, but Mike McCarthy already said out loud that the Cowboys were going to win this game. And you know what happens when you give a team bulletin board material, so I'm going Washington. Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Las Vegas Raiders. I got Chiefs. Chiefs. Seattle Seahawks versus the Houston Texans. I got Seattle. Seahawks. Tennessee Titans versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I got Titans. Titans. 
New Orleans Saints versus the New York Jets. Neither team looks good, but I will take the Saints defense. Yeah, I'm going Saints as well. Carolina Panthers versus the Atlanta Falcons. This is kind of tough, but I think I'm going to go Panthers. Panthers. Denver Broncos versus the Detroit Lions. I know the Bron- Lions are feeling themselves. Got their first win of the season, but I got Broncos. Uh, Los, Los Angeles Chargers versus the New York Giants. I got Chargers. Chargers. Cincinnati Bengals versus the San Francisco 49ers. I got Bengals. Bengals. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Buffalo Bills. On paper, this should be a good game, but I, I think it's going to be in a blowout. I got Bucks. Yeah, I got Bucks. Green Bay Packers versus the Chicago Bears. Sunday night football. They should have flexed this game. I got Packers. All right, Monday Night Football, the Los Angeles Rams versus the Arizona Cardinals. I think the Rams bounce back, beat the Cardinals. I got Rams also. All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookie players we are watching this week. Starting this week, my eyes are on Jags running back Josh Robinson. Last week against the Rams, he was benched after fumbling on the first drive, which Trevor Lawrence spoke out against and said, bottom line, James is one of our best players, and he's got to be on the field. We addressed it. In my opinion, he is their best offensive player, and if they are going to beat the Titans, they have to have a big game from Josh Robinson. I mean, James Robinson, I'm sorry. For me, I'm going to say quarterback Matthew Stafford. I think he's been under a lot of pressure lately, given the fact that he's throwing a couple, he's throwing turnovers, he's throwing a couple pick sixes and losses. And this is one of those games to where it's like, this is why they brought you here. This is why they basically foregone their future as a franchise to potentially win now by bringing you to Los Angeles. I think this is a game that he's going up against. Honestly, in my opinion, the the most dynamic quarterback as far as a passing and rushing standpoint in Tyler Murray, and he's going to have to win. I think he's going to have to win that matchup in order for the Rams to beat the Cardinals. Oh, I 100% agree. I almost had him as my offensive player. But instead, I'm going to go with his teammate on the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to say Von Miller. Since trading for Von Miller, Von has not had the intended uh, purpose that he was drafted. I mean, not drafted, but traded to have. I don't believe he has any sacks. Kind of been a bit of a slow start. And we all know that if you want to stop the Cardinals' high-powered offense, you have to slow down Kyler Murray. You have to get pressure. And I know it's hard because he runs around like a chicken with his head cut off. But you got to have Von Miller to contain him and I think that if he can put forth a big game that will help the Rams pull out the victory um, for me I'm going to say defensively I'm going to look at defensive tackle Chris Jones or the Chiefs yes I know that they basically own the Las Vegas Raiders throughout the recent years but I think the only sliver of a chance they will have to win is if he doesn't dominate the line of scrimmage and he doesn't disrupt the run game with Josh Jacobs Most deaf. All right, rookie that I'm watching is Jeremiah Owuso-Koromoa. For those of you who watched the first time that the Ravens and um, Ravens and Browns play, JOK was all over the field. He was pretty much drafted for games like this to help the Browns stop the run, chase Lamar all over the field, and he's going to have to put forth another strong performance again, if not better, in order for the Browns to pull out the win and keep their playoff hopes alive. So I'm excited to see what he does this week. Not too excited because I still want my favorite team to win, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, for me, I'm going to say Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. 
I think my eyes is gonna be on Patrick Sertan. He's been he's on the hot street. I think he has what three picks in his last four games, and that's why they that's why they drafted him. So I think in order for the Broncos to win this week, he's gonna to have to continue to play lockdown, be a lockdown corner, and get his hands on the, on the ball or two. All right, and then finally, the team I am calling out. Los Angeles Rams. Simply put, I like what the Rams are doing. I mean, y'all know I love me some OBJ. Von Miller is my guy. Aaron Donald is a joy to watch. And, of course, after my long years of being a Lions apologist, I want to see Matthew Stafford have success. Prove that you can put these pieces together, create that quote-unquote all-star team, and get this pivotal win that can help turn the tide for the NFC West. So, Rams, I'm calling you out. All I'm asking is, can Lamar not throw four picks this time? That's all I ask. Because you're not going to win games winning four picks. We just so happen to win that. We need to not ever do that again. But right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways of this last week of action? Top three takeaways. Um, history is about to be made at some point, maybe this weekend or right before Christmas. Steph Curry's, what, 10 threes away from breaking the Right, the all-time three-point record in the NBA set by Ray, not Ray Allen. Uh, wait, is Ray? I think it is Ray Allen. Yeah, Ray Allen. I'm sorry. Um, secondly, um, it's looking like Joel Embiid is starting to kind of find his stride from his return from COVID. I know in both games against the Hornets, he had 42 in the first game, and then in the second game, he had 33. And last night in the loss to the um, Utah Jazz, he had 19, so he started, I think he's slowly starting to get, get his legs back under him. And number, you know, number three, um, the Memphis Grizzlies, they, they're what, they had like a five-game win streak, they lost it against the Mavs, and then they pulled off an astounding upset last night against the Los Angeles Lakers, and as a Grizzlies fan, I'm just overall excited because we're doing this without John Moran. Um, Jaron Jackson is looking like he's gaining his form as the player that we hope he will be once he returns from injury. So as a Grizz fan, I'm just happy overall. Honestly, I just think that after a while, people are going to stop calling it an upset when the Lakers lose just because I know on paper it looks like an upset, but in terms of play, the Grizzlies have played better than us. And it only will get worse when Jock gets back. But all right, let's go ahead and talk our Mamba players of the week. Starting out of the Eastern Conference for me, I'm going to go Jason Tatum. That sounds kind of weird considering, you know, 
He's a Celtic. But Jason Tatum has been a busy man, but balling um, in these last few games. For example, um, had back-to-back games December 7th and 8th, dropped 34 and 8, then 29 and 10, both helping his teams to put forth great performances. I know they lost that Lakers game, but it was not on him. And then bounces back, beat the Clippers. I think that Jason Tatum, we talked about it last week with regards to if he was more about himself. But I think it just comes down to you have to be your team's best player you have to help your team win games and you have to produce and he has definitely been producing like a mamba should so i'm going jason tatum um for me i'm going to go I, i'm actually gonna go with joel and me um like i said since since he's returned from covid it's been a really rough it's been a really rough go for him but i feel like this week he's shown signs of being back to his dominant self like i stated the two games against charlie he had 42 and 33, respectively. And even against um, last night against the Jazz and defensive defensive player of the year, quote-unquote, Rudy Gobert, he had a productive game. And I think that he's starting to get his legs and his lungs under him. And you're going to see Joel B regain his form to being the most dominant player in the NBA. My Western mama goes to the team that nobody talks about. And I'm going to say Donovan Mitchell. I mean, excluding last night's game against the Jazz. I mean, he was on a four-game streak of at least 30 points. As we know, Spider is a baller. He just does not get as much attention. Even last night had a solid game, dropped 22-6. and six. I mean, he's the guy. He's the ball that nobody really talks about. And we'll kind of get to the Utah Jazz in a few minutes. But it's just like Spider continues to carry this team and put forth great games. Just does not get his recognition. Well, this time he's getting his flowers. Oh, for me, out of the West, uh, I'm not going to go with the familiar carry. It's easy to do. I'm actually going to go with Jerry Jackson's running mate, Desmond Bain. Throughout the course of this, um, but the course of this win streak and the game last night, he's he's routinely put up 20-plus points a game while shooting a very high percentage from three. And he's showing the growth in his game that us as good as fans have wanted. He's putting the ball on the floor. He's making plays um, off the dribble. He's getting to the basket. He's finishing. And also another thing that a lot of people haven't noticed is every now and then he showed that he got a little bunny. He's more than just a shooter. He has bounce. So I got to go dead. I respect it. All right, and then rookie of the week, Mamba rookie. I'm going Evan Mobley. I mean, since he's come back for injury, it's pretty much been the same thing that it's been. He's been a producer. He's been one of the more exciting rookies to watch. Definitely one of the most consistent. He's been balling out for Cleveland, a team that is just thirsting to have something to get excited about. I'm also in I can feel you on that. Speaking of big men making a difference, 
that is what Miles Turner is hoping to do. We'll get to in a second with regards to all the trade rumors in Indiana, but it's clear that Miles Turner is frustrated with the way that the Pacers front office views him. Um, after being asked about the team's latest uh, trade rumors, he said, it's clear that I'm not valued as anything more than a glorified role player here. I hold myself to a higher regard than that. I want more, more opportunity. And he has been playing very well thus far this season. In uh, three of the last four games, scored double-digit points, averaging 12.9 points per game, 7.3 rebounds per game, 2.8 re uh, blocks, in addition to shooting 53% from the field in 39.7% from the three-point line. Needless to say, he has been having a good year. So let's say the Pacers do trade him. Where would be a nice fit for Miles Turner? Well, not only would he be able to show off his skills, but also would have his talents be valued. Um, I would say the San Antonio Spurs, simply because I think he, he's something, he can provide something that they don't have right now. He's a multifaceted player. He can protect the rim. He he's one of the better shooting big men in the NBA. Henceforth, like you said, I think he's shooting thirty nine percent from three. And he's a guy that can do a multitude of things that we know will pop. If you give him someone like that, he can utilize it to the maximum extent and get the most out of their talent. I think the uh, Spurs will be a great move for him. I'm going to go with another team in the Western Conference. I'm going to say the Portland Trailblazers. Right now, we'll get to it in just a second, but like the Trailblazers are a team in absolute flux. But one thing that seems to be persistent is they have struggled defensively in the post. As we all know, Miles Turner is one of the better and more underrated defenders in the league and can produce offensively. Yusuf Nurkic, who they did bring back, you can tell he's still battling injuries. He's not being the player that they'd hoped that he would still be. Miles Turner continues to be on an ascending trend. And who knows, with so much happening with the organization today, Who's to say that in a week or two a trade could happen and Miles Turner won't become the new face of the Portland Trailblazers? It's so much flux going on, but I think that that would be a great opportunity for him to showcase his ability and become a team, a player that the team really rallies behind. But speaking of the Trailblazers, a lot has been going on in the past week. And it all began when the Trailblazers fired um, GM Neil Oshley, who had been there for the past 10 years. In addition to that, questions have uh, been brought about with Damian Lillard's desire to be there. Um, he recently made note that he wanted an extension worth two years for $107 million this offseason. That extension would give Lillard... $51 million at the age of 35, and then $55 million when he turns 36, money that most of us will never see in our lives. However, a lot of questions have come if he is even going to get that or if he's just trying to highball the Trailblazers as a way to potentially trade them. In addition to that, his running mate CJ McCollum is out for an extended period of time after suffering a, right, a collapsed right lung only making things tougher. And then in addition to that, Chauncey Billups called out his team where he said, I've never seen a team that needs its bench to inspire our starters. That shit is crazy to me. It's supposed to be the other way around. As Damian Lillard does, he took to social media and said that this was all drama. The media was just stirring things up. But Ethan, how do you think things are shaping up in Portland? Do you think that this drama is real? And do you think it's going to lead to moves being made? Or are they just going to ride it out? 
I definitely think this drama in Portland is real. I think that it's one of those situations to where I think Dame is starting to realize what everyone else has been saying over the course of maybe the past four years that this team isn't the caliber of team that he will that he can win a championship with. I think that it's been a growing frustration of his and it's just starting to come to head. Yes, he hasn't full on said like trade me, but I feel like he is doing things like you said, like asking for this um asking for this high ball price tag to just be like, yeah, either give me this or I'm gonna be yeah. And he might not have said it. And I think with Chauncey Billups, he's a first-year head coach. He's going through the growing pains. He's also going through the growing pains in the flux of his best player going through through a moment of frustration. And he also, he inherited a roster that that has flaws. Like you mentioned with um, Miles Turner, Yusuf Nuggets, he's a a decent big, but he – he isn't the I think that he isn't the type of big that needs to be important. I think you can add a guy like Miles Turner and it would be great. But it's also you have you you're dealing with your second best player in CJ McCollum battling the injuries basically all season. So I think it's a lot of things going on. It's compounded and it's starting to kinda of come to a head. Not only like you said, mentioning that um the firing of um Osley. So it's I think what's going to happen, I definitely, I think Dame's, either either Dame or CJ by is going to be gone. Preferably, I think that it's looking like they might just have to bite the bullet and deal Dame because and cause one of the things also, Dame's one of the more vocal, superstar, talent-level players on social media. Um, when he's on Twitter, he doesn't mind rebuttaling back to fans or or things that's been speculated about him on social media. That also can create friction in between him and the front office because it's like, hey, can you just stay quiet and let us do what we do? Yeah. And, I mean, Dame has been in the league for a very long time now. As we all know, he is the face of the Portland Trailblazers. I don't think that he's going to do that, especially because this is going to be a brand-new front office. He just got a new head coach. And clearly, even he may not have the respect for them that he had for the old regime. Nothing, nothing against them. It's just it's not what he's used to, and he's been there longer. He has the, the seniority in that regard. And, yeah, I just think that – I'd like you mentioned time and time again, we're starting to see that the Portland Trailblazers are not building a winner. I mean, if this offseason was not them bringing in, trying to bring in high profile free agents or making big trades to make this team better, I don't know what is. I mean, Tony Snell was one player. I can't even remember who else they brought in. Needless to say, it wasn't really impact players that would have helped to better their championship odds. And I know that Dame doesn't want to leave, and he wants to be able to bring a championship to Rip City, and I respect it, but it's just frustrating to watch a, a player of his talent have it pretty much just go to waste because this team is not – this team does not seem as dedicated 
to make Portland a winner as he is. So I think after a while, Dame is going to realize that and he's going to be on his way out. Speaking of issues, let's move on to La La Land where the Lakers are having a bit of issues themselves. But the questions are becoming, is it more so on the players or is it on head coach Frank Vogel? For example, Stephen A. Smith mentioned some changes he could see happening for the Lakers and said, I expect the Lakers to fire Frank Vogel. Well, LeBron talked about the criticisms of Frank Vogel and said, we as players have to do a better job going out there and producing on the floor. And in typical Charles Barkley fashion, he put his the blame on to Anthony Davis specifically saying in my opinion I blame Anthony Davis you're supposed to be in your prime you're supposed to be one of the five best players in the world now I hear y'all gonna fire Frank O Frank Vogel that's total BS so Ethan in your opinion this underwhelming Lakers season who's to blame the team as far as the players or is it Frank Vogel's fault I think it is I think it's a combination of the team as far as the players and the front office. Um, I'm going to touch on the front office to first. The reason I say the front office is I think that they poorly constructed this team. I think that, yes, adding Russell Westbrook, it is, at least in the beginning, it was a um, it was a really good story. You know, Russie's from California. He stated numerous times that he would love to play for the Lakers. But the honest opinion of me is when they added him, he wasn't a good fit. You're adding a guy that needs the ball in his hands that isn't a great perimeter shooter, and you're adding him to a team with LeBron James, who's also, even though he's up there, a a high-usage player who needs the ball in his hands. And then, you know, you bring in, I love Carmelo, but the Lakers weren't a good defense. The Lakers weren't a good defensive team. Um, the year before, and you bring in Carmelo. Yes, he's probably the best, one of the best scoring options off the bench, but he isn't a great defensive player. And you let it's looking like you let a really key piece go in Alice Caruso. Like he's on, he's with Chicago, and it's like he's affecting winning the things that he was doing for the Lakers. He's doing in Chicago, and the reason I say the players is, you know. Um, you have to have you have to have some type of like bravado about yourself. Like you guys are some of the best players in the NBA at this moment and you have to figure out the best way to make it work. And yes, I know you have to put that on the hands of Frank Vogel, but Frank Vogel isn't the one that's on the court. Yes, he can draw plays, yes, he can come up with defensive schemes. But as players on the court, you have to um, you have to put those things into action. So I think it's a comp- I think it's a double edged sword of the front office and the players. Yeah, actually, I'm happy you mentioned the front office because truthfully, I think it really all starts with them. They're the reason why the roster is constructed the way that it is. And as we all know, they're also a big reason why, like you mentioned, the roster is not as constructed as well as it could be. 
We all know Russell Westbrook is my favorite player in the league, but you and I will be the first to say that he does not fit what the Lakers lacked last year. His presence does not make the Lakers better, and we are seeing that not only is his presence not making the Lakers better, but neither are the free agents that they brought in. This is not a team that is producing to its standards because, one, it's already high enough standards being the Lakers, but it's also a whole nother standard having players like LeBron and AD and Russ on your roster. This is a team that's supposed to be leading the West as opposed to now they look like bottom feeders. Right now they're, what, 13 and 13? So, yeah, no, I think it really all starts with the front office because of their poor decision-making um, with regards to the personnel that they brought in. And then after that, I would go with players just because, like you mentioned, Frank Vogel can tell you what to do until he's blue in the face. But the players are not out there actually executing. It's not going to work. So I agree with you. I think that it's it's not just all on one group. Everybody played a role in this disappointment. But all right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery. You mentioned earlier um, when you were talking about the 76ers playing the Jazz and you said Rudy Gobert, who is supposedly the defensive player of the year. Well, you were not the only one not really drinking the Kool-Aid on Rudy Gobert being the best defensive player in the league. In fact, Patrick Beverly, who, of course, as we all know, is never one to hold his tongue, said, if I'm defensive player of the year, I'm always guarding the best player no matter what. You got Rudy Gobert out there guarding Jared Vanderbilt, and every time I hear he's the defensive player of the year, so uh, whatever. So believable or buffoonery, Rudy Gobert is, quote-unquote, the real defensive player of the year. Yeah, he's not gonna be guarding Dane. Yeah, like he's not gonna be, he's not gonna go out there guarding Steph and Dane. No, he is a great defensive player in the sense of like he's really effective in this game that Dash uses to play defense. They funnel people in to him, and he affects shots and block shots. I just think that um, he also is a guy that he gets played off the court. Because if you remove a traditional big off the court and you put a small and you play a small ball lineup, he's the guy that he, if you run a pick and pop, he's going to save to the paint. And he, his numerous of times, especially this past playoffs when they played the Clippers, he got played off the court because he was giving up open shots to guys because they weren't driving to the basket. They were just popping, and he wasn't coming out there. So I don't think that he's the real defensive player of the year. In my opinion, this for this particular season, I would say my defensive player of the year is Draymond Green because he looks like he's regained his form. He's affecting the game on the defensive side of the ball, and he's he's guarding one through five in in, in most scenarios. I would go Draymond, but you know, I don't get the opportunity to make those votes. Yeah, unfortunately. All right, next up, we've seen Monday Night Football and how great the Manning cast has been going. Personally, I prefer the Manning cast than, like, the actual broadcast just because it's, it's really enjoyable. But the question now becomes, should maybe the NBA try to do something similar? Maybe for their ESPN broadcast on Friday nights. Who knows? So believable or buffoonery? Should the NBA create a, a 
I mean, should ESPN come up with the NBA version of the Manning cast? I say believable. I think it would be fun. I say no. I say buffoonery. Um, because the reason I, I disagree with it is because I think the reason why the Manning cast is so effective is, first and foremost, you arguably have the biggest name, one of the biggest names, one of the biggest families in football. And you have the dynamic of them being two brothers that play the same position of quarterback. They have great relationships with people in the football world and the um, and the entertainment world. I think the reason it won't be as effective with with the um, NBA is you don't necessarily have that dynamic of like you don't have two known brothers. Um, also, yes, you can put people together, but it's like we've seen on numerous occasions where. When we have um, players coming commentating on games, they don't necessarily hope they don't necessarily do a good job of it. Like I know for for one instance, Chris Webber, in my opinion, is one of the worst commentators in the um, that commentates on the NBA because he's just boring. Like you know, I think that I understand like it could be a money grab and it could be a Ravens grab. But I feel like because you don't necessarily have the recipe that you have with the Manning cast as you do with other people in the NBA, I don't think you should try to replicate it because, like, you don't have a famous brother that duo in the NBA that you could do this with. I think it could work. I just think it all comes down to who do you get to do it. Like, of course, it wouldn't be brothers because – Honestly, off the top of my head, I can't really think of any NBA brothers who have amassed the success that the Mannings have, which isn't like a knock. It's just like it doesn't happen. But I think if you get too respected, but also respected, but also people who clearly have personalities, because what makes the Manning so good is, yes, they have the football insight, but also they have their own personalities. They make it enjoyable. With regards to the NBA, you would have to find two people similar to that who could do it? Do I think that I think ESPN will probably try to do it, and it just comes down to who do you have do it? If you don't get the right people to do it, it's not going to work, and it's just going to be a clear like just biting off what the Mannings are doing. But I think if you get the right duo, it could work out. Who that duo would be, I don't know, but I think that long term they get if they put the right pieces in place, they could work it out. All right, let's go ahead and move on. So, as we all know, Giannis, happy belated birthday to him. Just coming off a championship season, which Chris Broussard had thought pretty high of. Um, In a recent interview, though, he said, if you were to put Durant on that Milwaukee Bucks team, I don't think that they win a championship. So, let's say we swap stars, Giannis in Brooklyn, KD in uh, Milwaukee. Believable or buffoonery, the Milwaukee Bucks are still NBA champions. The problem is his foot was too big. Yeah, it's it. Like, if his foot was a little bit smaller, they would have won, and the Bucks would have been going home. So, I don't even have to go into deep detail about this. That kind of should let you know. Yes, if they put KD in instead of Giannis, they win. They, they probably won the NBA championship. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that, too. Like, don't get me wrong. Giannis balled out. He was amazing, but... 
Kevin Durant, like you said, almost single-handedly brought his team to the finals, which I don't dispute that they still could have won against the Suns. All right, let's go ahead and move on. I mentioned Donovan Mitchell earlier, which not many people really do. The Utah Jazz have been one of the better teams in the league right now. They are 18-7, third best record in the West. And Joel Ingles took to the media to talk about them not showing his team love. He said the most attention we ever got was when the world thought that Rudy was the first person to ever have COVID. And he has a point. We take things back to the NBA All-Star game. The Jazz had the best uh, record in the league, and yet Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert were two of the last players picked. And everybody kind of just laughed it off like they weren't ballers. Even now, they've been having a good season, but they don't get talked about. Believable or buffoonery, the media needs to put respect on the Utah Jazz's name. on it yes I do think that they definitely if they had more playoff success they would get the opportunity to be talked about more but I don't know I just think that they are a team that has been producing I mean like I said like they're third in the Western Conference right now it's not like they're slouches Spite is one of the top uh shooting guards in the league Rudy Gobert multiple time defensive player of the year so I can understand where they're coming from but I mean one could argue Utah is the least sexy team to play for, just in terms of location. Like, there's nothing really to do in Utah. And so it's not – I'd at least go say Indiana because at least they got the Colts. At least they got an NFL team. But 
And so Utah really just has nothing. And so I think that that also plays into the role of players not really wanting to go there. In addition to that, they're not going to get as many big-name games just because it's not sexy. You don't see the Utah Jazz and think it's sexy. Regardless of how good of a team they are, it just does not grip people. So I'm 50-50 on it. I do think they deserve more respect just being in terms of, like, looked at as good of a team as they are. But you're not going to get as much coverage as – a team like you mentioned, the Lakers or the Knicks or Miami or teams like that just because it's a much bigger market. Plus, they get more nationally televised games. Of course, more attention is going to be on that. Um, Speaking of Indiana Pacers, what kind of sparked the issues with Miles Turner was reports were starting to come out that the Indiana Pacers are moving towards a rebuild. Um, Receptive to trade talks centered around Karis LeVert and either DeMontis Sabonis or Miles Turner. So, believable or buffoonery, the Indiana Pacers should go for broke and go into full rebuild mode. I think they should. I think it's been one of those situations as to where they've had the same core group Sands, Karis LeVert, he's kind of a new addition, but they've had the same core group of guys for a while, and they haven't really done much. Like, yes, they've had regular season success, but they seem to always be a first-round exit. And so why not why not um, throw it away and start over? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, at this point, like you mentioned, like the best they've gotten was the second round. And it's just like, might as well trade that talent, start over fresh. I mean, you already got a new head coach in Terry Stotts. I say just go for the rebuild and just move on from there. So I agree with you. All right, let's go ahead and make our game picks, starting off with the Sacramento Kings versus the Charlotte Hornets. Speaking of the Kings, Solomon Thomas, I mean, not Solomon Thomas, Solomon King is very petty. Um, but I still, I got Hornets. Uh, Dallas Mavericks versus the Indiana Pacers. I know Luka has not been Lukaing the way that everybody expects him to, but I still got Mavs. Yeah, I got Mavs. Brooklyn Nets versus the Atlanta Hawks. I got Nets. I got Nets. New York Knicks versus the Toronto Raptors. I'm going to go Raptors. I got Raptors. Detroit Pistons versus the New Orleans Pelicans. I got Pistons. Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. I got Cavs. I got Cavs. The Los Angeles Lakers versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, I'm going to say Lakers, but they've already lost two games to the freaking Thunder. So, hopefully this won't be the same. I got Lakers. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks versus the Houston Rockets. I got Bucks. All right, last but not least, the Boston Celtics versus the Phoenix Suns. I don't think Devin Booker is playing, is he? Is he still hurt? I think he's still out. Okay, I'm going to go Celtics with the upset. I still got some. All right, now let's go ahead and move on to the WWE. Hey, everybody. Let's talk NXT War Games 2021. Mind you. I'm recording this not at the same time as the regular podcast. So if my voice sounds stronger for the NFL and NBA parts, that's not on purpose. I'm not feeling well. Let's recap, shall we? Uh, Despite a painful shoulder injury to Cora Jade, she manages to get the pin 
and the win for Team Raquel. Imperium overcomes after Fabian Eichner does his best strongman performance for the counter and the win against Kyle O'Reilly and Van Wagner. Von Wagner, I don't really care. Uh, Cameron Grimes cuts corners but still defeats Duke Hudson to cut him bald, even though he's not even really bald. It's just a low cut, but whatever. Um, The Cruiserweight title continues to divide as Roderick Strong retains. And last and certainly not least, um, NXT NXT 2.0 wins in a painful-ass match. Believe it or not, mind you, if you guys are listening to this, I'm assuming you listen to my my predictions. And if you listen to my predictions, you know that I was several weeks behind on NXT. And still, I went 4-1. If that doesn't tell you I'm the GOAT, I don't really know what more will. Uh, my favorite match of the night, the men's war games. It really was not close, um, which sucks because, you know, I'm all for the, the wrestling. I love me some wrestling. But I just did not necessarily love any other match on the card no, anywhere near as much as the men's war games, maybe because I was just so, so bittersweet and heartbroken and then not really about Johnny Gargano potentially leaving. The, all the pain that went through everybody, the random, not random, but the Dexter Loomis appearance on Trigger Wins, it was just so much that just made this match so good and so clearly better than everybody else. Undoubtedly my favorite match. Um, my favorite moment, it's, it's not a specific thing, but it's like a cluster of things, and that's when Grayson Waller was taking the ass kicking from Pete Dunne whether you want to call that the um, how how y'all want to do this? Uh, whether you want to call the the trash can where literally Pete Dunne was stomping on his head, uh, with the trash can, or just randomly just disfiguring his fingers, putting them all through the um, the war games cage, or just doing what Pete Dunne does. It was just a lot, and I can't say I'm a fan of Grayson Waller, but this just felt a t- that bit excessive, but I loved every second of it. It was, it was amazing. Um, increased talk Imperium. I probably could have said team 2.0, but now nah, I'm gonna show some love to Imperium. I think that we all know that Imperium is very good. I mean, even though typically when you hear Imperium, the first thing you thought is think of is Walter, but Fabian Eichner and wow. My brain totally just blank. Marcel Barto, sorry. Um, we both know that they are talented. We both know that they can put on a show in the ring. But like I said, Walter gets all the shine. So Sunday really allowed them to get their comeuppance and really showcase what they can do. And they do a hell of a job. And I think that that's just going to continue to show why they are one of the best technical tag teams in all of WWE, not just NXT. And then Decrease Stock. I mentioned it earlier, Grayson Waller. <laughs> he he was on the winning team, but like when I tell you this man had no other memorable moment besides getting his ass kicked, it it's very that. Um, my one booking decision. This may sound kind of weird, but that's because of the role that she played in the match. But I will take Cora Jade out. I just feel like there is somebody else more deserving 
to be there. I mean, I get that Dakota Kai kind of like tried to make an example out of her, but truthfully, like, with all the star power that was on Team Raquel, I thought they would add more to it. Or at the very least, somebody like Indy would have made, would have been better because she has more of a fan reaction. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I am, I have missed out on a lot with regards to NXT. I don't know a lot of these new people. So I just, I guess I'm not really just feeling Cora Jade. So personally, I would have took her out. Like I said, she played a very big role. I mean, she got the pin. And still to this day, I don't, I'm pretty sure she dislocated her shoulder. Unless everybody is just tremendous actors, I think she actually messed up her shoulder. But, yeah, I I, I just think that there were better options than Cora Jade. But, I mean, she won, so who cares what I think? And uh, my WTF moment, the Ditto random-ass poop thing, like when he was eating all the food and then, like, when is it? What was that? Maybe it's my fault because I was half listening because I think I was talking to my boyfriend at the time while we were watching it, but I did not catch what that was supposed to be. Maybe I'm tripping. Maybe I'm uncultured, but I just it looked stupid, and it was just weird looking up and seeing a man on the toilet. And then finally, my show grade. Y'all know NXT TakeOvers have a very special place in my heart. I like them. I get more excited for them. The quote unquote main roster take, pay, take oh, not takeovers, pay per views. But I can't say that I have the same feeling in my heart for NXT 2.0. And I'm not going to lie, I gave this bad boy a C. I mean, like I mentioned, the men's war games match was like superiorly better than everything else. Like, there's not even another match that I could kind of be like. Nah, I like this one too. Nah, like it was like undoubtedly the men's war games. And while don't get wrong, there was other good matches. Like the tag team match was very good. Um, Roderick Strong. So sorry, I'm dying. Uh, Roderick Strong versus Joe Gacy was another very good match. But with that being said, it just didn't grip me the way that other pay-per-views had. And so, yeah, it was a C plus. But in positive stuff, though, I got to show love to somebody who's always an A plus. And that's Johnny Gargano. Look, I know I could never really have a time when I would say Johnny Gargano was one of my top favorites or anything. But that man gave his heart and soul to NXT. Without him, I don't think I would have been as captivated with NXT as I was. But that was a bad mamma jamma. And if this is the end of his NXT run, or time in the WWE, which I, I pretty much figure it is, thank you, Johnny Gargano. You may never hear this, and that's okay. You've probably been flooded with the social medias. Everybody saying thank you, blah, blah, blah. But from the bottom of my heart, thank you. You are truly one of a kind. And it's hard to argue that you are not the greatest NXT superstar of all the times. So thank you so much. You are another big reason why I love wrestling. And I love you guys, especially if you listen to this, made it through the whole episode, made it through my clearly nasally hoarse voice. You're a real one. I appreciate you. Next week when you listen to the show, I'm sure I'll be better. But we'll see. As of right now, 
Go Tigers, the real ones. Go Tigers, go college. Um, Ravens, can we not lose back-to-back divisional games? I'd really appreciate it. I'm sure in the word for Ethan's side, he don't want to lose his tights loose. So I got you, boss. Uh, Grizzlies, go Grizz. All that good stuff. Thank you guys so much for listening. I don't know why I'm stalling like I have the voice to do all this. But thank you guys so much, and we'll see you all next time.